The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. I am your host, Amy Daniels McClure. I'm a registered nurse with a doctorate in nursing focused on rehabilitation and a clinical consultant with Coloplast. What would it be like if you were to face a life-changing event so traumatic that it could define you for the rest of your days, that it could change what you do, how you do it, and call into question every dream you had ever dared to chase? What happens when you arrive back at square one? For Trisha Downing, a competitive athlete, life was about an active existence, freedom, and seeking out her next big adventure. That was until the day that tragedy struck and everything changed. Arriving in unknown territory, Trisha found herself relearning simple tasks, reinventing her life, and redefining able. In making her comeback to athletic training, Trisha took the lessons that she learned through her injury and rehabilitation to start her life. Realizing that life is like a sport, the training we do makes a difference between just being in the race and raising your arms with pride across the finish line. Embark on a journey of self-discovery and explore the essence of the human spirit with our speaker as she shares how strength, courage, and perseverance changed her attitude from I can't into I can when faced with seemingly overwhelming challenges. Please welcome Trisha Downing. Hi, Amy. <laughs> welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for um, coming in and talking to us today about life after discharge. There's a big difference for somebody uh, when they are dealing with a spinal cord injury. And just a little bit about that journey. You know, you get hurt, you go to the trauma center. That's a whole different world. Then you get to rehab, a little bit more protected, lots of people there, and then you go home. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, so thank you for joining us today. The first thing I want to talk about is how you dealt with the equipment and the expense of what you had to face when you were on your own. I was really fortunate after my injury that I had, you know, some friends come together and do a fundraiser for me. And when I got injured 21 years ago, it was an old fashioned fundraiser, not a GoFundMe. <laughs> it's really expensive to make that transition from you know, able-bodied to having a spinal cord injury. And I I don't know what people do when they don't have that kind of big support system that I had. It's just, it's expensive. You have to you think about, you know, your car and adapting your car and you need to think about shower chairs and commode chairs and any kind of ad- adaptive equipment. And, you know, for me, like as a para, I had even less adaptive equipment than somebody who has a higher level injury. And so it's really, I think, important to kind of get people to understand that, well, this is an expensive lifestyle. And I think there needs to be work with people to figure out how to make it happen. It seems like within the disability community, you've got two options. You can either, you know, go on to social security disability and live off of like no money a month, or you can go the opposite way and you have to make a lot of money in order to be able to afford your healthcare, your supplies, your, you know, everything you need. And there's, there's really not an in-between, which is really unfortunate. When I was discharged, I got $800 a month from social security and I, there was no way I was going to be able to live off of that. 
but then going back and getting a job, even at a job that paid, you know, $50,000 a year, I couldn't afford myself, you know, like I couldn't afford all the things that I needed. And I think that a lot of people with spinal cord injuries end up with a lot of debt, end up never getting ahead, end up always feeling financially behind. And I don't know what the answer is because I think it's got to be a much wider systemic answer. Um, But, you know, maybe if there was a way to prepare patients for how can you manage this? It's fortunate and unfortunate that a lot of people turn to fundraising. I think it's fortunate that, you know, we can do that. Mm -hmm. But it, it also puts this stigma on the disabled community that, you know, you always need help. You're a little bit hopeless. You're a burden. And I just, I I hate that part of trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to afford to get a new piece of equipment? But there are a lot of organizations who do give grants. There are organizations that help with things like heating bills, electric bills, whatnot. But it is a really, I think, sobering fact that it is expensive to live with a spinal cord injury. And um, I read recently it's about half a million dollars with the initial injury. And then, wow an average of like $68,000 a year. Some of that is insurance covered, um, but a lot of it's out of pocket. You know, I've paid for, you know, when I go and do my taxes at the end of the year and I add up my medical expenses, it's usually 10 to $12,000 and that's on a good year. Wow. And that's hospital, doctors, prescriptions, catheters, copays, PT, massage, you know, whatever it is, like it, it adds up and it is a big chunk of money. And it really is a difficult way of life. That's that's so disheartening to hear because it's you, you mentioned all the equipment you needed. I don't know that people realize that that comes out of your pocket. Yeah. And getting onto a bike like you did. I mean, I don't know how quickly you got back onto your adapted bike. I think it was relatively quickly. You had to pay for that. And some people won't have access to that. So definitely something that needs to. Yeah. I mean, and hopefully um, hospitals and rehab centers compile lists of resources and make sure that patients leave the hospital with that. But I think that they're not all rehab centers are created equally. And um, Mm -hmm. when I started my camp for female wheelchair users, I learned that really quickly. People who attended the camp who came out of hospitals like Shepherd Center or Craig Mm -hmm. Hospital or, you know, some of the other big ones, um, they had a much bigger head start than the the women who came out of, you know, just kind of small town rehab centers. I mean, I've heard of people having as little as two weeks in rehab, and Ugh. that is not enough time to learn bladder and bowel and skin and all the things that you need to know. I had a gal come to my camp at one point and she was shocked that I was able to drive and that I had a full-time job and oh. that I lived alone those three things just blew her out of the water. And she just had not had any of that preparation at rehab. And so I think it's important for clinicians to be able to share with patients that, you know, you can do whatever it was that you were doing before your accident, or you can do what just anybody else does, whether it's driving a car or getting a job or whatever, you know, it just is a matter of learning how to work with your body, learning how to, you know, manage your energy financially be as smart as you can be. There's a lot to learn when you have a spinal cord injury. There really is. And I don't even think we've, I mean, Trish, you bring up a great point. I don't think as a rehab nurse, I even talked about the finance piece with patients. So it's a great thing to talk about and help patients realize. And 
the other thing I think you just said, you mentioned um, a couple of rehab centers and they are all, both of those that you mentioned are model systems. And I think it's important to educate people that even if you don't get to one of those model systems, they have websites and they have groups that you can talk to. And I know Craig Hospital in particular, I think they donate their equipment at the end and when they're done using it or if it gets too old to use on new patients. So I think getting connected with those big model systems, even if you don't live next to one, is important. And there's, I think there's around 16 model systems around the country. So hopefully people can get connected to those, at least the education they provide uh, if they weren't able to get that rehab. Absolutely. Because it really, I mean, that's what's going to set you up for success or failure. It's important to learn those things. You have to learn how to care for your skin. You have to learn how to care for your bowel and bladder because those are the things that are going to land you in the hospital in a minute if you don't get them right. And, you know, there are even still sometimes when I don't get them right. Fortunately, you have enough experience at this point that I can usually pinpoint what the problem is, but it's hard. It's, it's, you can't, you can't just get up and do things the way you used to. Well, and you mentioned UTIs. I think people don't realize that a UTI isn't just getting sick. I mean, do you want to share what it's like to have a UTI? It can be any number of symptoms, you know, it can be spastic legs, it can be a headache, it can be being exhausted, it can be leakage. There are so many different things that happen and it it can really shut you down for a few days if you don't get on antibiotics quickly. And I think that's one of the things too that is difficult when people get out of the hospital is having providers that you can get immediate Mm -hmm. attention from. And I think nowadays it's a little bit better because we've got so many urgent cares now and so many different options Uh um, for getting care, but it's really important to get that UTI diagnosed as quickly as possible and taken care of. And so just really paying attention to your body and knowing when something is not right is so important when you have a spinal cord injury. It is so important. It's so important for them to learn quickly. You mentioned spasticity. And I think until you know somebody in a chair, that can throw you out of your chair. Absolutely. And so to just say the words, my spasms increased, it's a big, big deal. And so um, it's important for us to help give you the tools to prevent those, right? So speaking of tools, equipment, you know, technology changes. You mentioned 21 years ago when you got hurt is very different than now. How do you keep track of what the new things are and how do you get access to those? You know, I keep track of new equipment and and different things just by talking to other people with injuries. The New Mobility Magazine, that's that's a good resource Mm for those of us in chairs. And it's just the problem is, is, you know, can I afford that equipment when it comes out? I'm currently looking at getting a new um, chair called the Omeo and it's $23,000. But it's a life-changing piece of equipment. And so it's just really unfortunate that some of these pieces of equipment are not accessible for people to get. And And does insurance not cover it? No, insurance doesn't cover it. It's made in New Zealand, so I don't think it conforms to all United States standards. It's also more, it's like a sporty power chair that you can take off-road. Oh, of course you would want that chair. You can take it on the beach and, you know, but the price tags are just so high. And it's, I mean, even my everyday chair, which is just a Thai chair is, you know, upwards of $5,000 and insurance doesn't typically foot the whole bill. And, you know, I've been really fortunate as an athlete to have connections and sponsorships Mm -hmm. and things like that, but your average person coming out of rehab doesn't have that. And so it's really hard to, I don't know how you even 
can begin to prepare somebody to understand the expense of being in a wheelchair, like getting a converted van. You know, my van was $40,000 and that did not fit my salary. You know, like it really stretched me to the limits to be able to even afford that. And that, and that's just a drive. And that's, that's just a drive. And that's not even a new car, you know, that right. was a used van. I mean, new ones are, I've seen them for $80,000. I mean, that used to be a house. <laughs> right. And can you imagine not being able to drive? Like as a new in, like you can drive, we can figure it out, but then not having the ability to afford it. I think. Right. Yeah. That would and fun. that happens, I think, with a lot of different pieces of adaptive equipment. They just become so cost prohibitive that people end up staying at home because right. they can't afford it. And so being able to share with somebody resources where they right. can find a grant or they can find an adaptive program that has equipment mm-hmm. that they could borrow when they want to go out right. and do something. Because yeah. right? it, it's so important to stay active when you have a spinal cord injury. It's not just it's physically, but it is also mental and emotional to be around other people and especially to be around other people who have spinal cord injuries right. because that's your support system. I mean, th- those are the people that you can really talk in depth to. Right. You can talk to your friends, your able-bodied friends. You can try to explain to them what it feels like not to have use of your abdominal muscles or you know, not to have bladder and bowel mm-hmm. control, but they will never fully appreciate mm-hmm. the anxiety that comes with no. having a spinal cord injury and having to worry about your bowel and your bladder. Right. So it's just, you know, it, there's a lot that's out there. And I think that something that rehab centers or clinicians can do is, is continue to check up on people when, once they're discharged with their injury, because you are so busy trying to absorb so much knowledge And then you get home and you're like, whoa, there's so much more to know. And, and you don't, you don't learn at all. You know, I got injured 21 years ago and nobody told me about aging with a spinal cord injury. So now here I am 52 and I'm like, oh, I wish I knew something about aging with a spinal Mm -hmm. cord injury. And so it's, you know, I feel like I'm feeling my way through the dark again because that wasn't addressed in my, my program, but I, I wasn't open to hearing that yet either because I was 31. So I wasn't, I wasn't worried about my fifties, I was worried about like tomorrow, right. <laughs> you know, and how I was going to get out and be able to go to work and go uh-huh. do the things that I either needed or wanted to do. Well, I think you bring up a great point too of, of females as we change, as we age, you know, we lose that estrogen and that's got to wreak havoc on your body in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, and sure. so you're going to be relearning a lot of that stuff. And I think as clinicians, we need to be sensitive to that. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of things that estrogen does for our bodies that you're you're going to have to try to figure out right and navigate thank you for joining us for this episode of the bowel and bladder matters podcast part of coloplast professional where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters for more educational resources from coloplast visit us at coloplast.us professional